For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that it takes a master's degree and counterfeit detection just to buy something off of, off of Amazon these days? Like a few years ago, we were trying to order a sound machine for our, our kids' room or our room or something. We like to sleep with a sound machine on. And we bought one of the dome sound machines. Have you guys seen those sound machines? They're nice. They're, it's like the original one. It's not like an electric signal. It's actually something that turns in there and makes a noise. It's really nice. So we bought one on Amazon. It showed up and we were using it, but it was like clicking. After like, right when we turned it on, it had like a very subtle click in it. And we were just like, what's up with this? These things are supposed to be like a lifetime guarantee product. This thing is supposed to be awesome. So we contacted Amazon and it turned out that we had bought a counterfeit version of the dome sound machine. And the only way that you could externally tell the difference between the two is that the real dome had an etched logo on top and the fake one had a sticker of the etched logo. It was so similar until you turned it on and tried it out. That's not the only place, though, that you need this master's degree in counterfeit detection in order to live your modern life. It's just something that we have to do each and every day. How many here, maybe you're lucky, I actually just want to know, how many people here get spam text messages? All right, it's everyone. It's a problem that we all deal with. Has anybody ever fallen for one of those spam text messages? <laughs> ben, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I, I love you, Ben. You're such a trusting and loving person. Oh, man. Oh, I, all the time I get a spam text message that says something like, Fletcher. So they know my name. I, maybe I should fall for this. And then it says, sorry for the outages on September 11th. Here's a freebie on us from AT&T. I'm like, they know my name, they know I'm with AT&T, and then it's like a link. I am not clicking that link. That is how they get you, all right? You click the link, they get you. And then they're inside your phone, and they're doing all kinds of stuff. I don't know how it really works. I just know, do not click the link. There's other places where you need to be able to tell the difference between the real thing and a fake thing. I get a fake friend request on Facebook or Instagram all the time. Those are trolls trying to get my information to log into something and take my money in one way or another, or influence an election in one way or another, or something like that. I don't know if you've been to New York lately, the past 10 years, has been flooded with these fake mascots in Times Square. And you have to know that it's a fake mascot, or you're going to get hustled, because they're, trying, they're aggressively taking photos with you, and aggressively asking you for money in return for those photos. And so if you see an Elmo in Times Square, you just have to tell your children, no, sweetie, that's not the real Elmo. That's creepy Elmo. Let's keep walking, all right? You're not going to go anywhere near that Elmo. We have to be able to tell the real thing from the counterfeits. And friends, there's a counterfeit Christianity that is just as, if not more prevalent, than the real thing Christianity. 
Can you spot this counterfeit Christianity? Because there could be two people sitting next to each other in the same church who both say that they believe the Bible, who both financially contribute to the church, who both pray every day, yet they pray to a completely different version of who God is and hold to a completely different version of what Christianity is. They look so similar, but you have to tell the real thing from the fake. This is the difference between a gospel Christianity and a moralistic Christianity. This is the difference between the gospel and religion. Last week we talked about the gospel versus irreligion. This week we're talking about the gospel versus religion. So real quick before I dive into this, let me define what I mean when I say religion. When I say religion, I'm talking about a way to make yourself right with God by the things that you do. So religion says, I obey Therefore, God loves me, while the gospel says, God loves me, therefore I obey. It's a subtle difference. They both require God loving you and obedience, but the order is very, very of magnitude important because one is a fake Christianity and one is a real Christianity. Religion takes the views of Christianity and turns them into a moral code by which you live your life. And Christianity is, there is a lot of moralness to Christianity. There are ways that you obey God and you bring Him glory in that way. But the gospel is not a moral code. The good news of Jesus loses all of its good news if you turn the message of Jesus into a list of commandments to obey. The good news of Jesus is a message, it's a story, not of what we can do to make God happy with us. The good news of Jesus is a good news message that Jesus has died for our sins and he has been resurrected to new life. When we trust in him, we're made right with God. Nothing that we do can change that. So therefore, religion says, I obey, therefore God loves me, while the gospel says, God loves me, Therefore, I obey. Jesus is constantly confronting this fake Christianity all of the time throughout the Gospels. He, he looks at the Pharisees, who are the most obedient people in the Bible, and he says, you're like a whitewashed tomb. Good on the outside, pretty on the outside, but you are dead on the inside. Just as Ephesians 2 taught us last week, that in our sins and trespasses that we are dead. Church, can we spot the difference between genuine Christianity and moralism in the name of Jesus? Can we spot the difference between the gospel and religion? And the great reformer Martin Luther actually taught that religion is the default mode of the human heart. Think about that with me for just a minute. Religion I obey, therefore God loves me, is the default mode of the human heart. That means that this isn't a message that we just have to hear once, but all the time, each and every day. I know that for me, this is true, that I snap back into the default mode. I snap back into this God is pleased when I obey Him more, that I make God love me when I obey Him. I snap back into this religious way of being that forgets about the gospel. It forgets this good news, this good news of grace. 
So we have to constantly be looking for this counterfeit in our own hearts and turning back to the God who loves us through the gospel. So church, that's what I want to help us with today. I want to help us with three different ways for you to spot the counterfeit Christianity in your life. How do you tell when you're believing the gospel versus when you're believing the fake thing? How do you tell that you're trusting in a counterfeit Christianity or the real Christianity? Three different ways. First, where they start. Second, what are their motivations? And third, what are the results? Where they start, you, you have to look at where they start if you want to know the difference between the two. You have to look at the motivation for yourself if you want to know if you're believing in the gospel or, or moralism, because it's sneaky. It's the default mode of our heart. And three, you have to look at the results of your life to tell if you're believing in the gospel or moralism. First, you look at where salvation starts. In this passage, Paul gives us a very specific order that God works in. Look at it with me. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The gospel starts with grace, then moves to faith, then moves to works. That order. <laughs> Moralism does the opposite. Moralism starts with works, then moves to faith, then moves to grace. If you want to tell if you're believing the real gospel or a counterfeit version of the gospel, look at where your faith is starting. Do you start with works or do you start with grace? When you put works before the grace, you have a self-righteousness. It's saying, I have to make myself clean so that God will love me. It's not that God reaches out his hand and cleanses me as he did the leper, which that story is so amazing. I'm glad that Ben brought it up. It's shocking because the leper would normally make the person unclean. If you touch someone with leprosy, you would be made unclean. But with Jesus, when he reached out and touched the leper, he made him clean. The cleanliness moved the opposite direction. It's amazing. So do you feel like you have to make yourself clean? Or do you long for the touch of Jesus that makes you clean? If the gospel is a gift, that's what it says. For it's by grace you've been saved. This is not, not your doing. It is the gift of God. If God's grace, if your salvation is a gift, inherently it does not start with something you have done. A gift that you get in return for works that you have done is called a payment. <laughs> That's called a wage. You earned that. But this is not a gift. You don't hire an employee who works for you 40 hours a week and then call their salary a gift. That's not, that's not a gift. They earned that. That's a wage. But this is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. If you're dead in your sins, how could you do anything to earn that wage, to earn that gift? The religious mindset believes that they have to do right for God to love them. And so what we end up doing that makes us more moralistic is we end up taking Christianity and adding the Hindu version of karma into our Christianity. We all do this from one way, in one way or another because karma says you get what you deserve. Now, that is a slightly biblical principle. I want to be really clear. If you look at the Proverbs, it says you reap what you sow. 
So there is a sense of that's how the universe works. But friends, when we're talking about salvation, when we're talking about relationship with God, you get so much more than you deserve. Do not limit God's love to what you deserve. God's love is so much greater than what you and I deserve. How do you tell if you're believing in the gospel or religion? When you sin, do you feel like you deserve the love of God less? That's the default mode of of religion popping up in your heart, saying, I deserve to be loved less because I've sinned. No, the gospel says that because you are in Christ, you're loved perfectly as he is loved. And therefore, no matter what you do, how much you mess up, you're loved perfectly. I do this with my kids sometimes because my kids know that they need to obey. And so when they disobey, they get a consequence oftentimes. Sometimes we just have plain grace with them, but oftentimes they have a consequence. And I say, hey, is God happy when you sin? And they say, no, and that is true. God is not happy that they sin. And then I say, does God love you more when you don't sin? Does he love you, or let me say that a different way that's a little bit easier to understand. Does God love you less when you sin? Is he happy when you sin? No. Does he love you less when you sin? No. It's so natural to say yes to that question, that God loves me less when I sin. But the answer is no. Because it's not our righteousness that makes him love us. Guys, this is counterintuitive, and it's a a truth that we have to hammer into our brains because the default mode is to believe that. We have to be rehearsing the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again, or we will revert to this empty religion. Let me just say it again, friends, church. God's love for you is too great to be limited to what you deserve. God's love for you is too great to be limited to what you deserve. God hates sin, but he loves sinners who are found in Christ. When we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's his kindness that leads us back to life that's flourishing. It's not saying go and sin so that grace may abound. If you ask that question, it means you're starting to get it. Should I, should I go and sin so that grace may abound? Romans 6. By no means is what Paul says. No. Life that's flourishing is life that doesn't sin. But that's not our motivation not to sin. It's the, it's the Father's love. So how do you tell if you're believing in the gospel or religion? Look at where your salvation starts. The gospel starts with grace, then moves to faith, and then moves to works. Moralism starts with works, then moves to faith, then moves to grace. Second, how do you tell the difference between these two? Look at where your motivation comes from. Both religion and both religion and the gospel have motivated millions upon millions of people to live more moral lifestyles. Both religion and the gospel have made people into people that are living more morally on the outside at least. But they do it in different ways. The gospel motivates using worship, saying you worship God and that's a motivation for you to obey him. Religion motivates using fear. 
the gospel says, or, or moralism says, don't be, a, don't be a bad person or you'll go to hell. Christianity says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Moralism is me-focused. Moralism says, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want others to think bad things about me. I don't want to get caught in sin, so I'm going to live a good life. The gospel is God-focused. It's saying, God has done so much for me. He's lavished his love upon me. He's been so gracious and kind. Therefore, I want to follow him because that's the best way for me to live. It's not a duty, it's a joy. He turns soldiers into children. Duty into delight. Moralism turns God into a police officer where his role is to watch you Make sure you don't sin, and when you do, he's going to get you. He's going to write you a ticket, you're going to have to pay the penalty, and then you can carry on with your way. Know what a good father should look like. None of us have perfect fathers, but we know that we don't have perfect fathers because inherently there's something in us that knows what a perfect father is. And God is a perfect father who loves us and embraces us in spite of our shortcomings. Now, friends, you don't have to be particularly, you don't have to consider yourself particularly religious to be a very religious person. In the latest polls, something around 20 to 25 percent of the United States population considers themselves non-religious. It's the nuns that you see on the the, uh, demographics reports. I would dare say that Cambridge, Somerville, Camberville is much higher than 20, 25 percent non-religious. But just because you're religious, you're not religious, doesn't mean that you don't have these moralistic tendencies. Because our secular friends who would not consider themselves to be religious pursue a moral code with religious ferocity. You have to obey, do the right thing, do better. You have to stand up for the right things. And if you break the moral code, what happens? You're shunned. You're excommunicated from the secular church, or at least that's what I call Twitter sometimes, the secular church. Canceled. So you better watch what you say or you'll get canceled. No one will like you anymore. Now that that is a motivation that is real, but you see where that motivation comes from. That motivation comes from fear. Fall in line or fear our wrath. The gospel doesn't motivate with fear. The gospel motivates with love. The gospel motivates with worship. It's the good gift of God, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. Have you ever received a gift that you just did not deserve? And have you seen how that melts your heart and changes how you feel? If someone loves you enough not trying to earn your love, but if they just love you and have their overflowing love for you, give you an amazing gift. How do you feel for that person? It's It's not that they're trying to buy your love, it's just that they love you and the gift represents their love. 
I can, I can list off several things that my wife has given me over the years, and I'm just like, I can tell that that's not so that I will love you more, but that's just because you love me. And what type of great gift is that? That is the gift of God. And it shapes how we feel about Him, and when our motivation is driven by that worship, it causes us to live by His moral code. You know, fear and worship are actually quite related. Worship says, worship is a desire. Worship says, I want that. When we worship God, we're saying, I want more of God. I desire God. Fear is a desire turned in on itself. So fear says, I don't want that. And so it's a way for us to worship ourselves, to say, I want to preserve myself, so I don't want that. I fear. But the gospel doesn't try to force us or scare us into doing the right thing. That's why I don't like some of the methods that we have used for evangelism over the years. It's, it's, getting, the, it's getting the motivation in the wrong place. Scare tactics. God doesn't try to bend us or break us into His image. That's moralism. God melts us into His image. We receive that gift and we're melted, we're conformed into the image of Christ because the gift of God's grace is so much greater than any gift that any of us can receive because the gift of God's grace is this, God Himself. We get to enjoy Him and His miraculous power and His loving kindness forever and ever. Truly, church, that is the gift of God. Grace is not a thing. We talk about grace like it's a thing. Even, even some of our prayers, uh, like our friends in the Catholic church, I have lots of friends who are Catholic, but they talk about grace that is a thing. And they even pray to Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, as if Mary was a milk bottle and, and grace is milk for her to be fill, filled with. Grace is not a thing. But grace is God himself. It's just shorthand for who he is and what he has done for us. So, how do you know if you're believing in the gospel or the counterfeit? Look at your motivation. Why are you doing the things you do? And the third way that you know between the gospel and this counterfeit is look at the results of your faith. Catch this one. It's really important. The gospel results in humility, in kindness, in honesty, and gentleness. Those are the results of our faith. Moralism results in a smug self-righteousness. I don't think that the world has really been exposed to real Christianity, by and large, because who do people think we are? They think we're the smug, self-righteous people. Guys, we need a PR campaign for Christianity that shows what it's really about. Because the results of the gospel are these fruits of the Spirit. Goodness, gentleness, self-control, loving kindness. Verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Well, I want us to think about that passage. What's the converse of that? If our salvation is the result of works, then we boast. If your salvation is the result of works, then you may boast. And if you feel like God loves you because you obey, that makes you into someone that can boast. It leaves you with a smug self-righteousness. 
But again, it's, uh, we would all deny that and say, that's not who I want to be. But we have to look for the religious corners of our soul. And I'm going to encourage you to go with me on a little journey through your soul right now and check all of the religious corners, open a few doors up, and just make sure that you don't need to hear the gospel. And friends, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not asking you to, like, to, to, to weep and wail when you see a religious corner. I'm just telling you, Let's, let's hear the good news again and be, and be reminded. So here are some questions to ask yourself to check the religious corners of your soul. What makes you feel better than other people? Do you have a special skill? Do you have your life put together? Are you more intellectual? Do you have a political standing that makes you feel superior to others? The gospel eliminates superiority. Because we're all equally dead apart from him, and we all receive the same gift in Christ. What are you afraid of people finding out? Do you have a secret that you don't feel like you can disclose to anyone, and especially to God? How much energy do you spend on managing perceptions because you base your worth as a human upon what others think of you. The gospel says it doesn't matter what others think of you because you're loved perfectly in Christ. How do you react to suffering and pain? This is a hard one because I think it's fairly natural to snap back into that moralistic standpoint. And when we experience suffering or pain, what we do is we say, what did I do to deserve this? Do you see how that's reverse religion? Because religion says, I obey, therefore God loves me. But when it feels like God doesn't love me, then we say, what did I do? How did I disobey? So it's just the same thing going the opposite direction. Verse 10. This is important for us, church. It says, for we are his workmanship. That's a weird word. That word only shows up twice in all the scriptures. And it's just a word. I don't know what it means in English, let alone Greek. When you look up the Greek word there, it says poema, which is where we actually get our English word for poem. And so when he talks about a workmanship, what he's talking about is a crafted piece of art, a crafted work. And it says you, we are his workmanship. We are this finely crafted thing created in Christ Jesus. So he's not talking about our original creation. He's talking about this new creation. Behold, the old man is dead. The new man is here. We, the old person's been put to death, but we've been created anew in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. And so we are his workmanship, this crafted masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so you, here you have this balance of grace and works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created for good works, but there is a difference between religious good works and gospel good works. And here's the main thing. Religious good works point back to you. Religious good works say, look how good I am. Gospel good works point back to God. Look how good he is. Do you see the difference there? So while they might look the same, they have different motivations and different ways of being. A religious good work is, is trying to prove yourself, saying, I'm a good person. 
A gospel good work says our God is so good. And so what are these good works? The standard way that we think about good works are, are things like helping the needy, helping those who are impoverished. And those are good works and good things that we can do, and all this is true for that. But I want us to focus on some of the fruit of the Spirit that could help us in these things. I want us to end our time by contemplating Romans 12. If you have your Bible, turn over to Romans 12 with me. It's just this fantastic passage that describes what it means to be a gospel person, what it means to live in a gospel culture. This is what it's supposed to look like when we all are believing the gospel. When we are saved by grace through faith, this is what the gospel does in our hearts. This is the type of community that we become. You know, moralism rots our hearts out and makes us insufferable, self-righteous, smug. But hear what the gospel does. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So we're competitive, but everyone wins. It's a competition. We're supposed to outdo one another. But when you outdo one another in showing honor, everyone wins. Let me keep going. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. After living in a culture that's, all week, living in a culture that's outraged about almost everything, this passage, live peaceably, as far as it depends upon you, with all, is like a milkshake. <laughs> it's so sweet. It's so thick. It's so tasty. It's so good. The works that God has created us for, church, are honesty, humility, gentleness, and generosity. And we savor the gospel. And as we savor the gospel more, that's what's produced in us. We can't produce that in ourselves. But as we look to God, as we fix our gaze upon God Almighty, that's what he does in us. That, because that's what he's like. You know, when you fix your eyes on this person, you observe him. My kids have become who I am, for better or worse, in a lot of different ways. And it's scary to watch that. It's because they observe me as their father, and they see that's how you treat people. And it, every time I see, like, a little ugly replica of me, I say, I need to observe my father more. Because as I observe my father, I'll replicate him so that others will be able to replicate me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As we savor this good news of who God is, you become what you worship. We become like him. One of the ways that we're reminded of what he's done, that we savor what he's done for us, that we worship him, is through a communion meal that we celebrate each and every week. 
So let's all stand up. We're going to pray, and I'll walk us through the communion meal through the next song. Father, as we prepare our hearts to receive this meal, we ask that you will be moving in us, helping us to, to hear from you, helping us to receive your grace, to not be works-based, but to be gospel people, people who have heard your good news and who have been transformed by it. Fix our eyes on you. Remind us of what we have done that's kept us far from you and lead us back in your gentleness to your warm embrace. Help us to be gospel people and not religious people to trust in you fully and completely. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.